टी हेल्थ शो योर मेरिकल लाइफ स्टाइल पॉडकास्ट ब्रोट टू यू बाय दी क्लिनिक Good morning this is the Tea Health show I'm Dr Mark and in studio with us as always we have our vivacious producer and um, layman in the studio Sampiwi good morning Good morning and my gut coach Stacy Holland and um Hello hello thanks Stacy mm-hmm. um you were here at 7 o'clock because of low <laughs> shedding and um well, it's very dark to low shedding while while she's not yet in studio Um Sister Elise Van Art thanks to um She's also stuck due to load shedding. <laughs> thanks to load shedding Eli- and an accident oh, no. um Elise is running down the sidewalk um <laughs> to join us. Okay, so we continuing our discussion on weight. Um last week we discussed the root cause of weight gain and obesity and um I Actually, just uh, before we circle back to that, mm. want to make the following statement. For the past 10 years, obesity has been classified as a chronic disease. Now, for those of you who don't really understand the statement, I want you to listen again. Obesity is a chronic disease like hypertension cholesterol diabetes cardiovascular disease cancer. Ex- cancer it's a chronic disease and one of the things that i want us to just quickly focus on is our genetic development <laughs> so this morning at 6:00 when I wake up and Stefan feed the birds that has woken us up at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> um, Bastard. I am, I, 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 I do my reading and this morning I came across an article that claims the following. And you know what? If we think about it, this is absolutely true. When we were evolving as humans, we evolved during a period where there was food scarcity. Uh-huh. So what we would do then as you evolve is you evolve in a way that you will get the maximum nutritional benefit from whatever you eat. Okay, so this is a couple of a uh, 100,000 years ago if mm-hmm. i'm not mistaken maybe not probably that more long. 100,000 yeah 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 our genetic makeup has not changed and today we live in a uh, environment where there is for the majority of people no concern of food scarcity and last week we actually touched on that that obesity is a problem of developing countries where we change mm. our um our food habits our eating habits exactly. yeah, our lifestyle mm. and today think about it our foods are tailor made to our addictive tastes yeah. they're hyper palatable absolutely i like that down. word <laughs> hyper palatable why because they contain substances 
that would make us feel good, which leads to a release of dopamine, endorphins, um, and that creates repeat, um, repetitive reward motivational behavior. And they create superbugs in, in the digestive tract. Those, those processed foods are the perfect substrate for, we, we constantly speak about it on the show. We have opportunistic, pathogenic, and beneficial microbes. My gosh, I had to stop in my tracks because so did I. <laughs> I wish you could see Mark in my face because Elise looks amazing. Girl, what do we need to know? <laughs> Actually, but you were running down the pavement to get to us, and you walk in, and it was like, <laughs> what did Johnny give you this morning? <laughs> Got it all. Hey, you got it all this morning. <laughs> <laughs> so these these foods, particularly high fructose corn syrup. What the hell is that? Look at the ingredients on your foods. Turn over and read what's in the ingredients. That high fructose corn syrup, which is something that we use to make things extremely sweet and pleasurable. So it's not a sickening sweetness. It's a very I can eat the whole packet type of sweetness, which, which we're all familiar with. Those feed pathogenic flora and also have the ability to turn opportunistic into pathogenic flora. That's the mechan- actual mechanism of action. Okay. And I wanted to touch on the fact that you said it's a chronic disease. And many people, I think they understand the words, but if you think about it, chronic is something that happens long term. And it happens slowly and it is sustained for a longer period of time. So if something is developed long term, we also can't expect to, return, to reverse it. Acutely, we can work in shorter periods of time. If it took you ten years to get the, get there, it's not going to take you ten years to reverse it. But don't come and say to us, "Oh, I've been like this for four years, and I want to change it in twelve weeks." So, Stacey, um, I I like what you've just said, um, Elise. I'm going to bring you in here because in uh, an article that um, I forwarded on to you yesterday. Um, we were actually still in the office and we discussed this where you have one of the most prominent and vocal, um, members of the obesity society in the States, uh, lambasting mm. very preeminent and reputable Medical journals for publishing studies on weight loss that runs over 12 weeks. Can you, can you remember that? Mm. Um, and this is the thing with any kind of 12 week program. And I think all of us have tried. Some of A them I failed. <laughs> and I've done multiple 12 week programs. And what he says, and I'm actually going to quote <laughs> this because I found this very, very, uh, succinct. Why are you, why are you I'm sorry that I am late this morning, but I think everybody knows about the traffic. Mm. 
Well, you look straight up for it. And yeah, listen, you stopped out. Talk about a fashionable entrance ready to see, you know, surprise. I just want to touch on what you just said about the fructose. What did you High, high fructose corn syrup. Okay. Is that what you get in your jelly sweetie? Yes. That, yes. That the, okay. Yes. And it's derived from corn. And you know, this is the frustration that I have whenever we find something that's good and health promoting. From a business perspective, it's clever and it makes sense, but we, and we call it big food, big pharma. And there's this, you know, ooh, they're evil. I get that part of the conversation, but big food and big pharma does exist, right? And in order to keep their businesses profitable, the minute we find something that is health promoting, they jump onto it and see how they can incorporate it in their products and in their marketing. Okay. Xylitol is one of those things. So xylitol was, is originally de- derived from the birch tree. And if it's done properly, can be a very healthy food that doesn't spike insulin and blood glucose the way sugar does, but it can also be made from corn. Yeah. Very cheaply, which interferes with the microbiome. Now, consumers not going to know that. They go and purchase something. They say, hey, it's got xylitol. It's healthy for me, right? But Mark, you also gave a, spoke about an article that you read to me about people that supplementing natural sugars with synthetic sweetness. Mm. Mm. And the weight loss or the weight gain actually. Yeah, that actually, I mean, this was very interesting. Elise. Yeah. Um, there was a, <clears throat> a randomized controlled trial with peer review studies, which means this is actually something One that's of the best been published yeah. and it's, it's a wonderful trial to do. Um, which looked at the use of sugar, mm. refined sugar mm. versus, um, synthetic sweetness. Yeah. Um, and there was actually statistically no difference. Yes, I remember reading um, that. But um, if you look at the study very carefully, the people who are using synthetic sweeteners actually had uh, higher mortality and morbidity. Um, so and artificial also, sweetness really is not good for you. And we spoke about that last yeah, week where yeah. we said, you know what, use raw honey with propolis um, yes. and um, and other cofactors, yeah. micronutrients. And again, these studies are always selective in terms of you have, to, like you said, you have to read the study to get to the heart of the issue. But what synthetic sweeteners do will always alter the microbiome and never for the good. Yeah. And there's not, there aren't enough studies on that. So people say, oh, you know, research on the microbiome is still not as robust enough as an answer to say, oh, synthetic sweeteners are okay. But no. It might be anecdotal, but you put people on synthetic sweeteners and watch how their gut responds. And more often than not, it responds adversely. So do we need a study to tell us that? Do you know what I mean? It's one of those things where we have to put science in the right context. But you're right, Elise. And also with synthetic chemicals, I know people say it's the same as you know, the chemical that would be naturally derived. So chemists like to use this argument. I wish Divya was here with us because she knows the difference between the two. A synthetic chemical still creates a cascade of other known reactions that the body is not used to or adapted (laughs) to doing. So it is still a moot point. The body needs stuff in the natural form. So when we look, and this is one of the topics that we discuss with hormones often, Mm. is bioidentical hormones. So it's the structure of the synthetic hormone that looks like the 
structure of the normal hormone. Mm. It's still, it's still synthetic. Mm. The problem with these things are they, your hormones break down through a series of pro, um, processes, whether it's oxidation, or whether it's reduction mm. or aromatization, mm. and there's a couple of other ones mm. where we need cofactors, enzymes, macronutrients, micronutrients, mm. trace elements mm. to activate those processes. And here we're looking at our vitamins, uh, minerals, mm. CoQ10, mm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if you deplete it in any one of those, mm. Your, your natural pathway mm. does not run smoothly. It's that very simple thing. Kids cannot run before they walked, before they crawled, before they started lifting their heads, before they started reaching out and touching things. Mm. So there's a step-by-step-by-step process. And in each of these processes, there's certain requirements that needs to be made. With our bioidentical hormones or synthetic hormones, they don't break down in the same way. So let's, for instance, look at our estrogen Group, we have Elise. You're the expert here. Help me. It's estradiol. Estrogen. It's the main one, and that converts into estrone mm. and then into estriol. And each one of those have a different action. So we can have a bioidentical hormone that mimics estrad- estradiol. But it doesn't necessarily break, break down, down into, into estrone and then into estriol. Or it requires more resources where the body is already depleted or just doesn't have yeah. those resources available. Or doesn't know how to recruit those resources for this particular okay. formation. So today's topic is treatment of obesity. So let's just do a very quick recap. Root causes of weight gain would be genetics. Do you guys agree? Absolutely. Like we've just discussed, we we evolved in a certain way, but our genetic makeup hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Microbiome, mm-hmm. which we cannot live without, but which we have changed and do change on a continuous basis through Medication that we take in, like antibiotics, etc., etc. Yeah. Hormone imbalances that happens during our normal lifespan, as well as the ones that we create ourselves, as well as the through previous reasons, phytoestrogens, etc., etc. Yeah. And when your microbiome change, you change your hormone balances. Mm. Comorbidities, and here we're thinking of. Um, thyroid metabolism, mm-hmm. insulin metabolism, mm-hmm. glucose metabolism, cardiovascular disease, disease processes like diabetes, familial hypercholesterolemia, etc., etc., etc. Now we add to that the 
effect that modern society has on us during our stress levels. Mm. And it was very interesting. I was uh, spending some time with one of our sponsors um, and we were talking about stress and anxiety and the effect that stress has on Elise's favorite organ, the adrenals. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, Crazy. Because our adrenal glands are the glands that are responsible for a myriad of hormones, our sex hormones, insulin, insulin-like growth factor, yeah. growth hormone, yeah. um, our uh, salt, health, our mm. salt metabolism, mm. and then lo and behold, our response to stress through cortisol. And here you can be just stress um, um, attacked or stress. Exhausted, and that's a big difference. So, what, what is the difference between stressed attack? So, good topic. When, when, when we are in a state of stress attack, that's Elise that just sat in traffic, knowing that she has a commitment that will elevate cortisol levels. Okay, okay? so that's your daily stress. But like we all of us had during that. COVID um, height and the waves of COVID where we are under psychological and physical stress for a prolonged period of time, like any factory without proper rest and shutdown and maintenance, it's going to burn out. Mm. So the exhausted stress comes from Burn out of where you are supposed to be making these hormones. So in the one, the first one, cortisol levels are high. But for and in the, short period. It should yes. be for short periods. But if that stays high for too long, you fry the circuit and then the circuit switches off and then you go in a state of adrenal fatigue. It's like having a baseline. Mm-hmm. I, I like to call it summation stress. Do you remember summation with with the neuro, with the neurological uh, um, system? You have these electrical impulses, and if it's one electrical impulse, it just dissipates. But if you keep bringing electrical impulses, then it short in a short space of time it builds up. And with stress, it's a similar thing. You have this baseline line, and then you have a stress event that happens, and it peaks above that line. Mm-hmm. But Elise comes, and it's a topic she likes, and we're laughing and we're smiling, and immediately goes below that baseline line and then starts to settle near it. But if while she was sitting here, she got an email, or the topic is stressful to her, or she walks out and there's another situation that happens, then it starts to add up. And if we're not intentionally using opportunities in the day to bring ourselves back because the stress itself isn't the issue we've we actually live in a safer time than we've ever had to live right Mm. so the stress itself in isolation is not the issue it's the coping mechanisms to come back to a baseline or even below that baseline to make sure that reserves are repleted that we're not doing so we go day to day to day is that that also personally personality related it could be 
Oh, I actually think you're absolutely right. Yeah. I don't think it could be. I think it is. Yeah. Um, sp- people, different personality types. Oh, you know what? Um, let's think about what Freud says. If you love your mother or you want to climb back into a room or whatever, you have a certain personality. If you love your father and, but in any case, but so I actually think it is connection to obesity. I think because I think the way, the reason why I'm saying it could be, I think you're finding that we're living a world where even where the classical person and personality types and coping mechanisms are now morphing into this mixture where we're probably going to end up with a new set of types where someone, Mark, you and I were speaking about this, where maybe type A personalities, the old type A personalities, we know what to do. We were usually quite driven, but given the complexities of life and what we've come through, even the personalities that are able to say, I should take some time out to rest every day because I know that it's good for me. We're still struggling. Oh, I'm, I, you know what? I'm, a, am I to, uh, type A personality? Is <laughs> it type triple A? <laughs> uh, uh, um, uh, <laughs> Elise declines to respond based on a fifth I amendment. I take the fifth amendment <laughs> in this one. So, um, the, the reason I ask is I know that I should take time out, but we theoretically it's know impossible it. for me to do that. My personality doesn't allow me. To. No, this is what I'm saying. And why, why we're seeing more people become obese that don't meet genetic criteria, that don't meet um, income level criteria is because of this new, and I, th- I suppose if you look back in history, there were all the, there were in each generation, there's this wave of newness, mm-hmm. right? Where things were different. We went from walking to cars. Now we don't have to even go and fetch our food or work for our food. Uber brings, brings our food things. right to us. So it's not just an abundance of food at our fingertips. It's that we don't even have to work for our food. And when I say work, before it meant actually foraging. Then it meant chopping it up in the kitchen. Now you don't even have to lift a finger to, you need to do prepare that chew. food. All you need to do is chew. And dare I say, some people don't do that. The, no, based on the chemical quality of foods, you don't need to I know, chew I know a person in this room that doesn't chew. Chew. Drinks. <laughs> He scops it down Like broth and stuff <laughs> Which is health <laughs> And leave my it's laziness Leave my gin addiction out of this It's choo 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 swallows hard work You know what Like all gay boys say It's just easy to Okay So actually let's talk about How do we Gosh. treat Obesity, because this is very, very difficult. It is. All of us, um, we've agreed to this. All of us have tried weight loss programs. I've tried. I fail miserably every single time. And is miserable. One is always miserable when trying to. (laughs) I lose weight. Starting always starting on a Monday morning. Yes, you never miss a Monday. Yeah, Yeah. and have a very nice Sunday. Yeah. Pudding. Yes. <laughs> Before Monday. <laughs> so where do we start? Okay, but I've got one question. I don't know if you've asked this question or answered it yet. We like to say people are nutritionally deficient. Yes. What does it mean? How do you know you're nutritionally deficient? Well, I mean, you can, there's, for me, the two main ways are, and there's a number of ways that you can do it. And I think these should be done in conjunction with one another is testing 
in conjunction with a symptomatic profile. So even if the testing, because testing is a snapshot in time yes. and many things can influence that, and it also depends on the type of test that you um, undergo, you look at the testing in conjunction with what the patient is saying they are experiencing so that if something is normal and the symptom is abnormal, then you can start employing some detective work. So, and believe me, this is bloody hard. It's hard. <laughs> because, Stacey, Elise, did you, do you remember that last week we spoke about low insulin levels? Yeah. Yes. Elise, you and I went and we did all the possible, possible research. <laughs> we looked at textbooks. We looked at yeah. uh, publications. Yeah. We looked at studies. Yeah. And... Um, I posed, posed this question to one of my mentors, David Arthur, who is a functional medicine guru. You and I both studied yeah. Yeah. Um, under him and with yeah. him and still learn a lot from him. And um, the answer is this. When we think of a diabetic, mm. a person with type 1 diabetes, it is that the um, pancreas is no longer secreting sufficient levels of insulin. So the insulin levels drop. And in diabetics, what then happen is that sugar levels start climbing. So mm. blood glucose levels start elevating. What we've seen uh, quite often and more frequently in the practice is patients who are skinny, normal blood glucose levels, very low insulin levels. Yep. And the diagnosis is actually that these patients are diabetic. Sure. So we're actually starting to see the clinical representation of what we were theoretically… Ex exactly what you guys described. Yeah. This is your thin fat, fat person. person. So the person who… Is nutritionally mm. depleted or has nutritional deficiencies and that translates. Okay, but I think you need to explain the thin fat person. Did you? We didn't so discuss it now, but Elise, we have discussed this is me. Yeah. yeah. I'm the thin fat you, person. You look normal, but, but you've got yeah. organ fat. That's what it means. It's visceral fat. Visceral fat. And fat sits around your organs, and that's the most dangerous fat. Exactly. That's one of the highest risk factors yeah. for cardiovascular disease, diabetes, etc., etc. And also, it's one of the reasons why we continue to say in this obesity discussion, in this weight loss, dis weight loss discussion, stop judging the book by its cover. It is what's inside that counts. And yes, to a certain point, we can make that observation. So I have my hand raised. You want to ask me why? <laughs> why? <laughs> why is that, Dr. So, Do we ever have to ask you why? <laughs> it's very interesting. This morning I asked my patient who I saw at 8 before I rushed here. I asked him this question. I said to him, this is my, my podcast this morning. Mm -hmm. Tell me what do you think about obesity and people who are obese? So what, is, what do you guys think when you see someone with obesity or even gross obesity walk past you? Like my 600 pounds life. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> what is your first perception? I'm 
very like judgmental. I'm like, how did you let yourself get to that size? Get to that size, you know? I think like living in South Africa, you kind of are used to like big ladies, and then yeah. you just see this lady who's just like enormous, and you're like, whoa! But how did you? This big button, yeah, like, yeah. just taking yes. it. Yes, yeah. and how like at what point did you say? Okay, this is this yeah. is big enough. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's like how I'm like, mm, girl. And do you think it's do, does the the concept or the notion of laziness come to mind? It does. There's this there's this perception that you you there's laziness and like a lack of self love because it's like you ate unhealthy and mm. self discipline. Yes, mm. to such a point where you this big. Yeah. And you can't do anything. You can't move. You can't wash. You can't, mm. um, take care of yourself, yourself now. And now, like, your entire life is affected because you can say no to that, like, McDonald's meal. Yeah. Okay. So how do we treat these patients? What was his response? His response was exactly the same as all of ours. It's that, you know what? Just get off your fat ass, start moving around and stop eating crap. Well, I, I have a different view. Okay. I, I really do have a, and I don't know if it's because of my background as a yeah. nurse, but I do feel sorry for these people mm. because I immediately think there's something medically wrong. Mm. Well, if I didn't watch that show, I, w- I would have had the previous mindset. Watching the show has created more of a nuanced mindset and then speaking to some people has created I think much more nuance in that I think we must actually get someone it's a good topic I have I have met and spoken to and also read about how it is a response to trauma Mm. Particularly sexual trauma in the yes. past And it becomes a physical That's why I touched on the emotional yeah, side as well A physical barrier to life To yes. people Yes. So sometimes so it's a, protection. a protective mechanism yes. especially, especially if you consider When it happened when one was young Or in teen years Or any of those formative years Where I was pretty Or I had a nice body And then this happened Or I couldn't defend myself Or this person found me attractive If I become less attractive Without it being something again That we intellectualize It's almost a subconscious mechanism So it becomes an eating disorder Like bulimia and anorexia Which is just on the Absolute opposite side of a scale Mm. Yes Okay So we've, we've spent quite a lot of time And we haven't gotten to our treatment modalities So how do we treat these obese patients? Where do you guys think one should start? Well, I mean, this is a conversation in his and I have on a daily because if it was that easy, like I said, we'd be retiring with we would have five <laughs> islands each. Eh? We've had we'd have had a gym. protocol written down. No, I mean, we would copyright it. And we everything. knew exactly how to solve this problem. So <laughs> let's go back to the root causes, and we'll address each one of them. There's nothing that we can do. About your inherent genetic makeup But we can manipulate The genetic makeup Of your microbiome Okay And And we can manipulate How your inherent genetic makeup Is expressed By Okay So we all have this blueprint Right Mm -hmm. And the blueprint says Build a kitchen here Put a kettle there Build a room here and what dictates when those things get built 
are what is called gene expression without being, becoming too complicated. Mm-hmm. And gene expression is mediated or controlled and regulated by things like the microbiome, but also by having nu- certain nutrients available. So, for example, when one drinks milk, the enzymes to break down the milk would be expressed by what's in your genetic oh, okay. makeup. And so by sense. changing the nutrition, we can somehow keep at bay the bad genes and hopefully try and express the good genes, at least minimizing something that you had a predisposition to. Okay. Does that does that make sense? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Okay. So then let's get to the other root causes. One Comorbidities mm-hmm. And here we're looking specifically At other hormone systems Thyroid hormone Which is responsible For the body's energy metabolism Now often I see In my practice People that come in with normal thyroid um, Screen In other words Here we look at thyroid stimulating Hormone T4, sometimes if you do a proper screen, you look at T3 and you look at thyroid antibodies. Mm. And we'll go back to thyroid antibodies just now because I think insulin and glucose and glucagon and all of those things, Mm. uh, insulin-like growth factor, work exactly the same. But for your thyroid hormone to be active, you need cofactors. Those cofactors include optimal levels of iron. So if you're iron depleted, mm. your thyroid hormone will not work. And now we see these people are the ones that start losing their hair. Mm. They are people that battle with dry, brittle nails, dry skin. Mm. Okay, but just touch on why would people be iron deficient? I think we need to say. Usually it's females mm. with menstruation, irregular menstruation or um, not regulated properly. Um, people that had a virus infection. Thank you for going to that one because this uh, during the COVID yeah, period 90% and of the world, eh? with yeah. our spike that we saw in our other respiratory viruses, yeah. it's one of the first things that we look at and it's one of the easiest signs for us to see whether someone had asymptomatic COVID is see if there was a rapid drop in iron levels. Mm. For your simple reason, most of these bacteria, and Stacey will tell you about the gut bacteria, and this is why iron supplementation is quite difficult. Mm. Um, Every single living organism needs iron. Mm. um, And when we have an infection, not only does the pathogens use iron, but our immune system requires iron to fight it. So you can see a rapid drop in iron levels. Mm. It happened to me. My iron levels um, fell by more than 100% uh, within a month period. And also when you have anemic patients, it's also one way of, of creating that bridge between dysbiosis and what they've constantly experienced is chronic anemia because mm. pathogenic, like you said, actually all microbes love iron. Mm. So then we supplement with iron and all we do is just the create, yeah, yeah. The other thing for your thyroid metabolism, which is essential, is vitamin D. And 
iodine. Which is a hormone, by the way. Right. Yeah. Iodine. Iodine. And iodine is like, I mean, for me, iodine is an amazing element, mm-hmm. which I think we often neglect because our diets have become so deficient. In fact, the diet, our diets have been so deficient in iodine that when, when did food start becoming fortified with iron, with iodine? You like it was salt in a couple of. In, in our salt, it started becoming iodated, right? But again, then this goes back to the synthetic form versus the, the, mo- the more natural form. But also our diets don't include much Marine um, nutrients. Yes. Yeah. As Very well. Yeah. Because your kelps, mm. your um, is is incredibly high. And fish are farmed now as well. And and the reason why I say iodine is important is because thyroid hormone, I think, is one of the only molecules that naturally incorporates, incorporates iodine. Yeah. Some of the other. Um, Things that are incredibly important for your thyroid metabolism to be active are um, enzymes like coenzyme Q10, Q10. trace elements and and metals, magnesium, mm. zinc, selenium, mm. Mm. copper. Sure. So um, it's it's very difficult. So look at the comorbidities. Understand that. Normal test does not mean that you are healthy. Yeah. It's interpreting these results accurately. We've, we've touched on insulin levels. So patients who have insulin resistance, mm. um, have trouble moving glucose from inside the blood to where it's needed inside cells. So that you can produce ATP, etc., etc., which is the energy that our cells and mitochondria need. And then we can look at glucose metabolism. Mm-hmm. So I'm one of those patients, for instance, that have normal insulin, but an impaired glucose metabolism. Mm. So I'm not diabetic yet, mm. but I'm on my way there. And there's a big difference between Insulin resistance and glucose uh, intolerance or uh, um, glucose metabolism that's slow. Mm. Where do we go from here? Oh, <laughs> I, we did. <laughs> we're all like waiting for this profound thought that was being generated. <laughs> okay, so. How do we treat it? How do we treat it? So, uh, once how do we had, treat it in our practice? Yeah. Before we go there, I think one thing that people, I'm seeing more and more of, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm seeing the surgical route where I thought someone made this incredible transformation, and I'm not judging it. I'm just saying I thought that on the surface someone made an incredible transformation either through the use of medication or diet only to find out that a gastric bypass or a sleeve or some form of surgical route to weight loss was then employed. I don't see a lot of successful case studies this is again anecdotal from people that I know have personally gone for these. In fact, I've heard more adverse Define responses. successful. When I say successful is, so three of like close friends and family I know of lost the weight, but then were very nutritionally deficient. Exactly. Continued to eat, mentally so, eat the same amount and then also suffered with anxiety and depression, but more depression. Yes. So on the outside, they look fantastic. Yes. yes. But they are. Really miserable on the inside. Yes. 
Yes. That's what, so that's what I've seen. And again, I say it's anecdotal, um, because research doesn't paint that picture per se, but I don't know from your personal experience. No, you're right. So how do we know about bariatric surgery? Because people that were sitting on the view suddenly have a balloon put into their stomach yeah. or they had a bypass surgery. But what they don't tell us is the exorbitant cost yes, yes. of that, mm. the horrible, horrible, horrible side effects mm. from the surgery. You only want, you only get a dump, uh, a dumping syndrome. Uh, after one of these things once, and I promise you, you, you beg never to have one of them again. The incredibly difficult road to get there because it's a multidisciplinary approach. It's a psychiatrist, psychologist, gastroenterologist, specialist, surgeon, dietitian, uh, dietitian nutritionist, etc., etc. So, yes, it does work for certain patients. Why do we treat those patients with um, bypass or bariatric surgery? It's to prolong life because the obesity is a chronic disease that you need to address in order for longevity. Otherwise, your kidneys will go. Your cardiovascular system is under strain. Your liver is under strain. Um, so... It's it's a disease. You have to address the disease. If your heart's failing, you sometimes get a heart transplant. This is exactly the same. Um, I still think we should revisit um, fecal transplants because mm. if I can do a heart transplant can't and change transplant. the function of my heart, um, mm. but I, and I can get um, and I do get this idea of harvesting your own fecal matter in a healthy state mm. um, and, and banking storing it, it and banking for it. when we have problems like the formation of diabetes, yeah. obesity, etc. That, et that I see a value in you. That we can, we can do that transplant. So let's get to medication. Okay. Um, traditionally, weight loss was treated with exercise, um, and calorie restriction. Appetite suppressants. And then came about the appetite suppressants, uh, okay. which were basically speed. Mm. You know, to have a line of cocaine is going to do exactly the same thing. Or take asthmatic medication. <laughs> does, it, does it suppress your uh, appetite, not mine? Clint Butrell, no, I would, it would increase thermogenesis. So I think by virtue of how you are so jittery and want to throw up all the time, you actually don't want to eat. <laughs> you do know that most asthma medication your, uh, has a beta stimulant in it, which just pushes up your heart rate. Yeah, that's exactly Oh, well, what does speed do? Exactly. 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 exactly.
use medication for weight loss like you would use hypertensive medication. Mm. I have a challenge with, I know we don't do it in the practice, but the reason why I have a challenge with many of these medications is because I think it sets a patient up for a, a continual, a, a, a continued thinking in a certain way. And hear me out on this. I feel like we should say this is a solution. It's the strategy. And we've done this in the practice. You c- will start implementing medication in like month two or month three. Because when the patient knows I can take medication and continue doing exactly what I've been doing, it sets, they set themselves up. So you failure. need to do a lifestyle change first. First. You but that's see, so hard to do with sometimes <laughs> without the medication. Yeah. Okay. So you kind of have so to angle it like a carrot. Let's, you know? let's actually, um, talk about what we do in our practice. Okay. Because what you said is absolutely true for the majority of patients that go to their GPs. Mm. Here's weight loss medication. Um, you need to look at what you eat and you need to exercise. Bye bye. Yeah. Okay. And then what happens. have we Nada. said? Nada. Do And those patients fail. Yes. And then they feel Why? less about themselves. Why? Because they haven't changed the very mechanism that caused the obesity. And now they think that the medication is going to be some wonder drug. And in a short space of time, it probably is. But then it ends up only filling the gaps. Does that make sense? It just plugs what the diet is creating a deficiency in or a hole in, basically. Yeah. Okay. So it never so changes. Let's go one step deeper. Why do they ultimately rely on this? Uh, can I take a, yeah. mm, a jab at I think it's easier. It's, it's easier. easier. Yes. It's so exactly. easier to take something so. at nine o'clock and then <laughs> go about the, the day, have coffee, have your water, and then like do it all over again. And it's hard to get out of that, you know, because now that you've introduced me to this like easy way of living healthy, it's very hard when someone's like, well, at nine o'clock now you need to have a juice and you shouldn't be taking any medication and at 10 o'clock do this. And mm. like, like now you're like, what? Excuse me? 10 o'clock I have a meeting. What do you mean? It's just one uh, thing yeah, to do. Like, yeah. I don't have to change and all the I, things I have to, you're telling you, me to change. If, yeah. if I can, if I can try and Summarize what you've just said. Patients don't have a motivation to do the lifestyle changes. Mm. Especially when you're not seeing change. Like, I think mm. as people, you're only going to want to go okay. back to the gym, so, for example. When you see the abs, it's the same thing with weight loss. If I'm not seeing the change, the change and because I get despondent. Yes. My and motivation change, yeah. goes. So one of the biggest effects of hormone imbalance in the brain is a lack of motivation. So dopamine levels start declining, dopamine being responsible for reward, motivation, repetitive behavior. Um, if I take away the things that make me happy, like chocolate, like food, I have to reset my brain. So there was a very interesting article that I read about someone that goes on a complete dopamine deprivation once every couple of months and it's so and that is and you sound it, it's funny no phone um, no tv no phone no tv no interaction um fasting just plain water plain soup so why 
Because if you keep on stimulating something the whole time, you have to stimulate it more and more and more. If you get into a bath full of ice, the first time that you get in there, it's like, (gasps) but do it repeatedly and it becomes routine. It's easy. And therefore, it's this deprivation of dopamine. So what we do in our practice is we look at you holistically. We start with a complete medical as well as lifestyle assessment. And this is where we take a medical history from you in detail. That's what I do. <clears throat> when we move over to Stacy, what's the first thing that you spend your first hour on? Is understanding the patient's lifestyle. Yep. Understanding the patient's needs. And then we send them for their blood tests and we get the biochemistry. Mm-hmm. And from the biochemistry, we learn certain things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Start getting a clearer idea. I use the analogy of I take my BMW to BMW and they plug it into the computer and Mm -hmm. it tells them what's wrong with the car. Mm -hmm. Now, Elise, do you think that's good enough? Just getting the diagnosis from the computer. No, I think then one needs to, what we do is we sit together and work out a plan Mm -hmm. and get the buy-in of the patient. Absolutely. It's You need, as a patient, to understand why you are gaining weight. Mm. In other words, Mm. understanding the root cause, the symptoms that present because of this, like tiredness, fatigue, not sleeping, sweating, hormonal changes, Mm. comorbidities, Mm. uh, cardiovascular disease, etc. So there's a huge education element because people are so Yes, yes, yes. And from there, we decide how the symptoms and the biochemistry and the lifestyle fit in together. When we have that, we look at ways that fits into your current lifestyle for us to enable you to make changes. And then we support with nutritional intervention, Stacy, bespoke supplemental nutrition. Mm-hmm. And this is our dear friend, Divya. Uh, that helps us with that. And then our IV nutrient therapy. Why? Because if you're not eating the right foods, you are nutrient depleted. And if we can't restore the nutrients um, in a way that you will actually absorb them, in other words, bypass the gut, we don't fix anything. And then we go and look at, if necessary... Which is, is for the majority of patients, seeing that obesity is a chronic disease, we treat with medical intervention. And here we're looking at optimizing insulin levels, optimizing glucose levels. And here we use medications like metformin. Most of our people will know about it. The new GLP-2 or GLP, um, antagonists or agonists, um, 
weight loss medication people have heard about Victoza, they heard about Saxenda, they heard about Ozempic, Wegovy, Trulicity, Contrave, all of those ones. And we can incorporate the older ones like um, uh, Obex and uh, Duramine and Obersan X and those kind of stuff. Okay, so summarize, we we running out of time. It was a wonderful conversation. <laughs> Obesity is a chronic disease and should be treated as such. If you think that you can fix it with a 12-week program, you're setting yourself up for failure. If you think that you can fix it with a 36-week program or a 52-week program, you're far closer to achieving your goals. There is um, a multidisciplinary approach that is needed for you to do this Effectively, in other words, this is doing the necessary lifestyle changes, Mm. seeking medical help to help you with nutritional supplementation, intravenous supplementation. This is what we do. Mm. Please be careful for your intravenous drip bars on the corner of the street. Um, We've recently had another case where they treated a patient without knowing that she's hypertensive and uh, we had to send the patient through to casualties. Um, Then also there is medication. Speak to your practitioner about this. Just know that the medication is an means to an end it's part of a treatment Mm. it's not a supplement for living healthily Mm. awesome okay team thank you so much um again we ran out of time Mm -hmm. i i think we will revisit um weight loss and we will look at the emotional and Mm. psychological I just want to have one last thing to say. I've got one last thing to say. Doesn't matter what we see in our practice. Doesn't matter if you think you are overweight, if it's five kilograms or 40 kilograms. It is a problem for the person. Yeah. Um, we think, oh, there's nothing wrong with you, mm. but it's, it's a reality. And that's where the emotional side comes mm. in as well. Mm. So. It's a program that we will be discussing in the very near future. Next week, we have um, Dr. Claudia Duval, who's joining me in studio. Dr. Duval, a nephrologist, good friend of ours. She's been on our shows before. And we're going to talk about what you need to know about, according to me, the most important organ in your body your kidneys because it controls everything um have a good week we wishing you well in health summer um start walking or walking around in your pool it's the best exercise that you can do have a great week everyone cheers cheers that was the tea health show empowering you with knowledge download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform The Tea Health Show is brought to you by Tea Clinic.